So we are continuing in Ephesians. Today we're focusing in on verses 5 and 6. But I'm going to go ahead and read from verse 1, Ephesians 1. I'll be reading from Ephesians 1, verses 1 through 6. You can find us on page 1,156 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to look to your word. Father, we pray that you will give us wisdom and understanding, discernment through the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you that your word is living and active, inspired, infallible, all-sufficient. Father, we pray that you will transform our hearts and minds at this time through your word and that you will guide us in your love. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. When you look at this passage of Scripture, as I said, as we work our way through Ephesians, today our main focus is to go back up. You're going to see a transition take place here in the letter to the church in Ephesus. And you're going to see this transition carry on throughout the entire book. So I want to bring you back to focus you on it. In verse 3, it says this. Ephesians 1, verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you see there that God the Father, remember we understand the Trinity. We believe one God, three persons. We believe in God the Father. God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But here, the Apostle Paul is taking us back to that time before creation. That time of eternity past, when for eternity past, there was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in perfect love, perfect unity, perfect fellowship, and you had the Father, and you had the eternally begotten Son, and you had the Holy Spirit. 
So Paul takes us in this moment back to that relationship. And then when we get into our passage of Scripture, our two verses, then he brings us who are in Jesus Christ, who believe in Jesus Christ, who have been saved and made alive through the power of the Holy Spirit, to trust and believe in what Jesus accomplished for us in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, and in his return. We're going to see where the Apostle Paul takes us and places us within that perfect relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is amazing. This is amazing. Here's God in perfect love, perfect fellowship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then there is us. Remember, we have fallen into sin. As we looked at Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, we saw where Adam and Eve had fellowship with God. God would come and walk amongst them and be in relationship with them. But Adam and Eve rebelled. They said, we would rather listen to Satan than to God. We would rather do things according to our own desires than the desire of God. And we see where Adam and Eve fall into sin. And then all their descendants then are conceived and born into rebellion, hostility, hatred toward God. This is our fallen condition. So you see what the Apostle Paul does here in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that we understand. We understand that Jesus Christ, the eternally begotten Son of God, was always in perfect obedience to his heavenly Father. Perfect obedience. Not only eternally past, but when Jesus comes and is born of the Virgin Mary, he takes on flesh throughout his life on this earth. He was in complete, absolute, perfect obedience to his heavenly Father. Perfect. He never thought one thought that went against the will of the Father. He never said one thing against the will of his heavenly Father. He never did anything that would be considered wrong or imperfect or a sin. Now, in contrast to that, there isn't a moment that we live on this earth where we don't experience the brokenness of sin in thought, word, and action. If I told you, make it through the rest of today, from this moment until the Lord enables you to go to sleep tonight without sinning, who's up for that challenge? It's a good challenge. We should strive for that. We are to strive for that. But let me tell you, I'll be the first one who falls short of that. Because we sin. Even we who have been saved, we still have to fight the battle of sin every moment, every day. We have to be deliberate 
and vigilant through the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to sin and say yes to God. But it is a battle. As long as we're in this flesh, as long as we're on this heaven and this earth. Now, the Holy Spirit does make us alive. We're made alive to be God's children so that we can say no to sin and yes to God. But it's still a battle as long as we're on this heaven and earth. So what's so amazing as you see this transition in the passage, it goes from verse 3, pray of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're like, I understand that. That makes perfect sense. But then when we get amazed as this, we see in verse 4 that we looked at last week, for he chose us in this Jesus Christ, remember the eternally begotten Son, who is perfect, God the Father chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. And here begins the, how can that be? How can I be holy and blameless in the sight of God? I can't be holy and blameless in the sight of my wife. I can't be holy and blameless in the sight of my children. I can't even be holy and blameless in the eyes of those in the congregation. No matter how much I try. You see my sins. You see my struggles. You see my failures. So how is it possible that I could be holy and blameless in the sight of God Almighty who knows all things, sees all things, is all-powerful, knows my every thought, knows my heart in a way that my wife, my children, those in a congregation, no one else does. How can this be? And that's where we come into verses 5 and 6. This is the how. We've seen here where God has given his eternal purpose that he's going to do something in our lives to enable us to have something with him that before was only between him and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We're going to be able to enter in to a relationship of holiness and perfection with God. How can this be? And that's where our verse is today, where the Apostle Paul focuses in. So we're going to see some key words. Verse 5. And if you notice in the NIV, in the Bible, right in the chairs, a lot of them, this is a little strange here. You see, period, in love, which is the end of verse 4. And then you see where in love is really a part of verse 5 and 6. The reason in the Greek, it's completely ambiguous. There is no way you can prove if in love is at the end of verse 4 or the beginning of verse 5. But there are two other places where it has a very similar structure as in love he predestined. So that's why most translators put the period and then in love and carry that through through verse 5. And I'm convinced also that that is 
where verse 5 really should begin. So that's what we're going to look at. So here we're going to see that God is doing something in love. God's motivation, his purpose, who he is, the attribute that is lifted up when it comes to our salvation is love. Love. And we're going to see here a glimpse of love in its deepest, deepest part. Remember, this is 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Where it goes through all the different parts of what true love is. Love is sacrificial. Love seeks to serve and lift up the other. Love seeks to die to one's own pride and ambition. Love is all these things. We see this throughout the scriptures. So here we're going to see that the deepest part of the love of God is that, remember, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who have existed in eternity past and will exist for eternity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, that God already has perfect love relationship within himself. But God is so loving and gracious that out of his own will, his own purpose, his own grace, God has no need for this. This isn't based on some need, but this is based on the overflow of God's love that he will create everything that's been created, that he will make people in his image And from those people within his image, he is going to choose and predestine and make adopted children who, because of his son, Jesus Christ, will be able to enter into perfect, holy, spotless relationship with him. That that's the purpose and, and in doing that, he will get all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. That's the reason for everything. That's the purpose for every life. That's the purpose for every tree. That's the purpose for every mountain. That's the purpose of everything that was created. This entire creation, everything is so that God can display the glory of his grace. So for us to understand God's grace, we have to understand what it means that he would take his only begotten son, this son that, remember, he has been with for eternity, this son whom he loves perfectly, this son who has never said or thought or done anything wrong, that because of his will and his desire to make other children out of his creation, he will send this son to die on their behalf. So that his blood will cleanse us, his cross will pay for our sins, so that then we can be Children of God, holy and blameless before him. 
This is love. This is what love is. When you go to classes, you're examined whether you'll be ordained. And I remember one of my first classes meetings I went to, someone was being ordained, and the examiner, uh, pastor of First Linden, he asked this, this young man, he looked at him and says, what attributes of God do we see displayed in the cross? In the cross. And he talked about God's love. He said, yes, yes. God's, love. God's grace. Yes, God's grace. God's, then he kept going on, and then he took over God's justice. God's holiness, God's care, God's sacrifice, every attribute of God, everything that we understand of God is most perfectly displayed in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why there is a cross. So that God's grace and his love and his glory would be lifted up for all creation to see. That's why Jesus is the purpose of everything. That's why as we go through this text, remember what the focus is? If you look back here in verse 3, with every spiritual blessing in Christ, there it is, in Christ, for he chose us, verse 4, in him, there's the in him, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance to the praise of his glorious grace. It's all about in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ. That's what everything is for. All creation is in, by, for, where Jesus Christ is lifted up so that we may see God's love and grace and holiness and glory and power and we may praise Him. The purpose of everything. And that's what Paul is drawing out in these passages. So as we look through this, And in your bulletins, there's an outline on the back. And this outline gives some of the scripture references I'm going to touch on and gives you a little flow if you want to follow along with that. So we see this in love, in love, the motivation of love. Where we most see that captured well is in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4 If you want to understand Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, then sometime today you will go and grab your Bible, or if you don't have one, look it up online, and you will go to 1 John chapter 4, and you will read that chapter. You'll read it once, then you'll go do something, read it again, go do something else, And before you go to bed tonight, read it a third time. Because this is the passage of Scripture that illustrates what God is capturing here through Paul in these two verses. So 1 John 4. In this, 
starting at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. There it is. Remember, everything is in Christ, through Christ. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So remember, this is this aspect of already in Ephesians 1, we've seen where it begins with God's eternal election. God chooses you. Then he predestines that you will be made alive through the power of his Holy Spirit, and you will be his child, adopted, taken out of your sin, taken out of enslavement to the devil, taken out of enslavement to the world so that you are free to see him, to be his child, and to run into his arms. It is not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us. And that's why he gets all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor. While we are still exhibiting hatred and rebellion and disregard for him, he comes, takes a hold of us, gives us eyes to see, like the prodigal trudging back to his father. And he gives us eyes to see the father running toward us. To embrace us in forgiveness and grace and bring us home. If you go on that chapter, you look at verses 16 through 19. Again, it says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. There it is. God is love. And and a part of that love is holiness, justice, grace, mercy. These are all aspects of the love of God. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Remember that perfect relationship? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, where there is perfect love. And here we see that God from eternity past, has purposed and brought about a plan according to his will so that creatures, remember what the, one of the main themes of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is? God is God and we are not. We are creatures. So here you have God bringing about this plan so that he will have children saved where his Holy Spirit will dwell within them and they can then enter into a perfect relationship of love. God and his children. That's what, again, it's being lifted up here. Verse 17, By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence 
for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. So that's what the Apostle Paul is displaying here in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. In love, God chooses us. In love, God predestines us. In love, God sends His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. In love, He makes us alive. To see Him and believe in Him, to repent of our sins, and to give Him glory. This is all because of the love of God. So perfectly displayed in Jesus Christ. Now, as we looked at election, the purpose of election is showing God's eternal choice and decree. Now, predestination is very similar to that word, but predestination means God has destined. God has established for his children, God has established for his elect that they will become his children. They will trust and believe in Jesus Christ and have eternal life. Remember, as we looked at last week, in this passage, God is taking our salvation and placing it in the most secure, protected place it can be. Not in your ultimate strength. Oh, have mercy. If my salvation was ultimately dependent on my own strength and ability... That would be like me riding the fastest, highest roller coaster without a seatbelt or a harness. On the first loop-de-loop, I will be flung out. There's no way. There's no way. We will not make it a single day if it is ultimately based on our strength, our will, and our power. No, God has to dwell within us. We have to be given new life to trust and believe. So we see the power of this. And as we look at this, he predestined us. We see throughout the scriptures how secure this is, this predestination, this this God's eternal plan. You see that most graphically in Romans 8. In Romans 8, starting at verse 28, it says, And we know that for those who love God... Remember, God first loves us and enables us to love him and each other. We know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. There it is again. That through Jesus Christ, the eternally begotten Son, we can be adopted and we can have Jesus as our brother. Who here has an older brother? As the brother. No matter how good that older brother is to you, think of Jesus as your older brother. 
That's what this is saying. What an older brother. So that's what Jesus is in that. It's beautiful. For those he foreknew, he predestined. Verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Remember, we looked at that. That is God. He is predestined and he calls us. That's where God speaks to us when we are dead. Just as Jesus said, Lazarus, come out. God calls us. He speaks our name and says, get out of that grave. Come to me. I don't care if you stinketh, if you're rotten, dead in your sin. Be alive and come follow me. That's the call. And those whom he called, he also justified. So that's where we are made right because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. We'll get to share the same glory when Jesus comes back in his full glory. We get to share that glory. How can that be? Because we're his children. We're his children. And Jesus is our older brother. This is grace. Grace. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I was sharing it at youth group this week where we talked about, I was encouraging them. I said, if you... If you're facing a time of temptation or facing a challenge or facing a struggle, to say this, I'm a child of God. You're facing a a temptation to do something wrong, to say, think, do something wrong that's a sin. Remind yourself, if you're in Jesus Christ, I'm a child of God. God's children don't do that. If someone's trying to tempt you to do something wrong and that you tell them i'm a child of god i'm not supposed to do that if you're feeling lonely and struggling with something or you're having pain and this and that you say god help me i'm your child that's that's what it all comes down to that's where the scriptures are focusing this if god is for us if he makes us his child who can be against us Who can be against us? Because if God is your father, oh, you got the strongest daddy. Strongest daddy that there is. Who can be against you? It's all about the cross. That's why in Acts 4, where we see Peter lifting up God's eternal plan, He says for this in verse 27 of Acts 4, he says, For truly in this city, speaking about Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. There had to be a cross. In God's will and purpose and plan, there had to be a cross to display his love and his grace so perfectly. We could his children and we could praise him forever. There had to be a cross. And it was God's purpose. 
And then Ephesians 1, we see in verse 11, as we continue on the chapter, again, predestination is lifted up. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And once we are adopted as God's children, we can cry out to him, Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy, because the Spirit is crying out within us. And we know that because of the Holy Spirit empowering and enabling us, that as Revelation 21 says, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. So we all have things we're looking forward to on this heaven and earth. We all have these things. For some, it's to graduate from high school. For others, it's to graduate from college. For others, it's to find a career, a job. For others, it may be to find a husband or a wife or to have children. We all have these different things that we're excited for, we're hopeful for, that, that are good gifts that God gives us. We're, so we have this. We have these things that we look forward to and we, and we pray about and we seek God about. But ultimately what Ephesians 1 and what Revelation 21, what all the scriptures do is this, is in the midst of all those goals and hopes and aspirations that we have on this heaven and earth, the thing that we are most longing for, the thing that we are most excited about, most passionate about, we have the greatest desire for is this moment when finally you will stand before God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. in the midst of God the Father and the Son the Holy Spirit, to hear God's grace in this, where God would say, you are my child, whom I love. That's everything. That's everything. So no matter what goals and hopes and aspirations, that ultimately is where we fix our hearts. That's where we fix our eyes. That's where we fix our hearts because we know that no matter what relationship we have on this heaven and earth, it's not perfect. It will fail us. There'll be struggles. There'll be difficulties. There'll be challenges. But we know that if we have been chosen and predestined out of God's purpose of love, that that understanding of God looking at us and rather than seeing our sin, rather than seeing our rebellion, that he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, and he speaks to us, you are my child whom I love. That will never fail you. That will never fail you. And that's what enables us as God's children to take step after step, regardless of the pain, the suffering, the persecution, 
regardless of the calamity that comes against us on this heaven and earth, is we know that we are God's children through Jesus Christ. Step after step, we can go forward. Because that will never fail us. As verse 6 says, this is all to the praise of His glorious grace. Which again, as verse 6 ends, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. Otherwise, you could translate that as the NIV does. In the one He loves. When Jesus is baptized, you hear the voice of God the Father from the heavens say, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. At the transfiguration, you hear God the Father call out, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you've been made alive through the power of His Holy Spirit, if you trust Him, you're alive in Him, then the same love that God has had for eternity for the Son, He has for you. The same love. That same perfect, holy, all-powerful. And for that we give glory. We understand this. If you look at Romans 9, verse 23, in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory, even as... Even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. It's because of Romans 9 and other verses that you can sing, Father Abraham has many sons, as many sons has Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Abraham is your father in faith. Jesus Christ is your brother in faith. God the Father becomes your heavenly Father so that you can be His child. And this is for His glory and the glory of His grace. Colossians 1 summarizes this. Starting at verse 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So I just want to encourage you, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you are alive in Him, if you know Him and trust Him as your Lord and Savior, 
Know the love that God has for you. Know the forgiveness that is there. Know that the blood of Christ has cleansed you of every sin. In Jesus Christ, you are holy and you are blameless. Know that God has made you alive to live lives, to do battle against sin. But it's all for His grace. Because you are saved by His grace, you are sanctified by His grace, you are preserved by His grace, and you'll be glorified by His grace. But if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, if you do not trust Him as your Lord and Savior, if, if, if you don't know the love and forgiveness of God, then I just want to encourage you. It's a beautiful thing to have a friend or loved one look to you and say, I love you. That's wonderful. But there is no greater thing that you can hear and know than to have God the Father look at you and say, I love you. And you can only hear that in Jesus Christ. Trust Him. Let us pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You again for Your grace, Your goodness, Your love to us. Oh, how wonderful to be your child. Father, we thank you that this was all done out of the motivation of your love. And we thank you that Jesus made the way. That he paid it all. That he took our sins. He bore your wrath. So that we could be set free and become your child. Father, we pray that through this coming week, we will remember that if we are in your son, Jesus Christ, we are your child and that you love us. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.